0: We've been, uh, in my my Old Testament survey class, we've made it to Exodus, and there is a a part of Exodus, uh, right after the giving of the Ten Commandments, when Moses and uh, the 70 elders and Joshua and Aaron and Phineas and uh, some other guy, there, and they they go, and Moses goes up into the presence of God, and he is there for 40 days, and he doesn't eat or drink anything because... Sustained by God's presence. It's an amazing passage. So, this morning we are going to hopefully enter into the Word of God and we are going to be warmed by uh, our time in the Word together. So, let your mental uh, acuity, uh, attention warm you up. Um, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm very excited. I'm very excited uh, about um, what I have to I, I do. Don't, I, I don't do a lot of inside baseball you know, with, with preaching. But uh, I will tell you, there are, there are many times when I get up here and I am like, so I'm like, this is awesome. Like what I have to present is awesome, you know. And like nobody said anything to me, and I'm not asking for anybody. And then like sometimes I'll get up here and I'll be like, I, you know, man, I have struggled through this. Uh, I I got, you know, this is what I got. And like, you know, that day, like three people will come up and be like, that changed my life. That totally changed my life. Thank you so much. So today I'm telling you, I'm very excited. Uh, that about what I have to say, and I hope, I hope that I'm able to communicate that. I think that this is something, uh, children, I want to say to our children, and people, and we're going to get to it. I'd like you to listen. I, I hope you always do, but I, I think that what we're going to look at today is amazing. I think it's really helpful. Uh, I think that if, if this is something that if you would allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to, that you uh, could really benefit from that for the rest of your life. So, um, with all that, let me pray, and uh, we, will, we will jump in here to John 14. Father, I, I do ask that you would help my preparation uh, to convey what your word says, and it is, it's remarkable. Uh, this promise that we are going to look at uh, from the words of your son, Jesus Christ, it is a remarkable promise, and one which I, I don't think any of us would say that we have fully embraced, fully understood um, how awesome. So I, I ask that you would just give us a little, a little peek of that this morning. I, I pray that you would just open the door a tiny bit to that unseen world, and that we would be able to just grasp what it is that's on the other side, and that we would be fascinated by it, and we would be uh, interested in it and amazed by it, and that you would just drive us further into to, to trying to find out more. So do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's a story that I have shared uh, several times with Hope Bible Church, as I do often with my story, but this one really relates to the subject at hand. I was, I was meeting with a guy uh, some years ago. We were studying a systematic theology test. He was a new believer, and we got to the section on the Holy Spirit, and we met together that morning, and he, we we'd read, the, we read the, the, the section, and he said to me, did you know that the, the God of the universe dwells inside of us? You know, and I was like, yeah, of course I know that. I mean, I've been a seminary. I've been a Christian you know, for a long time. Everybody knows that, and he's just like, that's amazing, you know? And, and I, was, I was struck because I, I'm very used to that idea. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that idea. And here's a new believer who's like, no, that's, that's seriously life-changing information there. And so I think it's possible that we've become comfortable with that truth. yes If you are a Christian, the triune God of the universe dwells within you. And this is the kind of stuff, by the way, that makes the world think we are nuts. They think we're crazy. But it's what the Bible teaches, and that's the subject of our passage this morning. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is called pneumatology. My guess is that some of you, if not many of you in this room, are confused about the teaching regarding the Holy Spirit. What does he do? How does he do it? How do we access the Spirit's power in our lives? How can we know his presence? And I think some of these questions arise out Widespread misunderstanding about him. Many Christians speak feeling the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit in a way that most people just don't experience. And maybe you've wondered, am I missing out on something? Why don't I feel the Spirit? So we're not going to teach broadly on the topic of theology this morning, although I'm tempted. Uh, We at some point in the future have that opportunity. For the most part, this morning I'm going to confine myself to this text, John 14, 15 through 17. And I want us to understand this text in the context of John. So we won't leave here this morning understanding all that the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, but we will leave here hopefully better understanding what Jesus says right here in this text. This, by the way, is the first time that it is mentioned that the Holy Spirit is Christ's special gift to believers, And in this passage, we're going to see the Holy Spirit is given as comfort. He is called our comforter, our helper. So let me just take a minute to remind you of the context, because it's very important. We've been slowly making our way through this upper room discourse. Jesus' final time with his disciples on the night before he died, John 14, 16. Jesus is alone with 11 of his disciples. Judas has gone out to betray him. They have found out that there is a traitor in their midst and Judas is doing that evil deed while Jesus speaks. What they thought was going to be a festive celebration has turned into a nightmare, and the most shocking thing that Jesus has said at this dinner is that he's about to go away, and he looks around the table, and he sees the face, faces of his loved ones, sad and confused and hurt, and this is all important because as we Jesus intends all of these words as comfort. At the beginning of chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled, which means, as we would say it, stop being troubled. He'll say it again in verse 27 at the end of the chapter. So everything that we're seeing here is sort of sandwiched between these two statements of Jesus, let not your heart be troubled. And so comfort then comes in a series of promises. He is going to prepare a place for we saw that his followers will do the works that he has done, and we do anything in his name, and he will do it. But these promises all hinge on the big promise that we are going to look at this morning. John 14, uh, 16 and 17, although we'll, we'll back up and start with verse 15, but let me read it. 16 and 17. Ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That is an amazing promise. Jesus left his followers. We've talked about this a couple of times. Everything you need is life and godliness. Remember the word that I mentioned from a couple of weeks ago? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that's Jesus Christ, who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the that is in the world through lust. In John 14 through 16, I would say we are looking at some of these very great and precious promises, and Peter says through these promises we become partakers in the divine nature, and if it is your ambition at all to become a partaker in the divine nature, and I hope it is, if you're a believer in this room this morning, I hope that you at least say, yeah, that sounds nice, and you should be willing, anxious even, to immerse yourself in these precious and great promises. And I know we're going a little slow through this section. Circumstances have slowed us down a little bit the last couple of weeks, but I think that this is so important here in this upper room discourse, and so we're being a little deliberate here. So let's allow ourselves to be comforted by these amazing, wonderful words from the Lord about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Number one, uh, we are defining the relationship. In verse 15, Fifteen seems a little out of place at first. It doesn't seem like it relates. So, just prior to verse 15, Jesus has said anything in my name, and I will give it to you. And then, after verse 15, he makes this promise of the Holy Spirit. So, look at, look at verse 15. In the middle of that, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Am I going in and out? But I'm yelling. so Alright. Ooh. So good the reason that i think verse 15 belongs with the context of the promise of the holy spirit is that jesus restates it throughout the passage down in 21 he says whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and then in verse 23 if anyone loves me he will keep my word all right, so first, let's see how this relates to the context, okay? So as Jesus looks around the table, and he, he, he sees the sadness in these guys' eyes and the confusion, but he also sees love. These are 11 young men who genuinely love him, and they don't want him to leave. And they're heartbroken at that thought. And so we already know that everything that Jesus is saying is sandwiched between these two statements of let not your heart be troubled. And so here in verse 15, Jesus is giving comfort, but he's not condoning self-pity. So here's the connection. This is why I think these two things are related. This is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, if you love me, if you really love me, you won't sit around weeping and lamenting when I'm gone. You will get busy striving to do what I have told you to do. And then second, as we see We're going to see the gift of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, is very connected to our obedience. All right. So if you're making notes, write that down. This is huge this morning. If you're a a young person in this room, I want you to leave here understanding that the gift of the Holy Spirit is connected by Jesus to our obedience. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us obey Christ. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And I also want you to notice this is not a command. There are many places where we are told to obey. But here Jesus says, a, it's a conditional statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Very black and white. If then, then this. John likes to talk like this. Later on in the New Testament, in his, in his uh, letter of 1 John, he'll say, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How should... Christian life be characterized. And this is why I called this section, by the way, defining the relationship. What does it mean to be a Christian? The Christian life should be characterized by love and obedience to Christ. Or to state it negatively, you cannot claim love for Christ and refuse to obey Him. And just so we're clear, we are not talking about obedience that leads to salvation. This is obedience that flows out of love and devotion to Christ. Therefore, if you don't want to obey Christ, you don't love Christ. And this is very important. This is a very important point about being a follower of Jesus. We don't get to say that we love him and then decide what that looks like on our own. We let the Lord Jesus define that. What does it look like to him to love him? And it is obedience. It is obedience to his commands. It's been a few weeks, but I hope you'll remember, if not the sermon itself, the stunningly underrated title, A Pair of Perplexing Promises. Jesus made two surprising statements. He said, if anyone believes in me, he will do the works that I do. Remember that in verse 12? And then he said, if, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it in verse 13. And now he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. None of these are commands. They are all conditional statements. If you believe, if you ask, if you love, you will do the works I do. You will obey my commands to the ears of the disciples and to our ears, I, I, this sounds impossible. So if you're sitting here saying this morning, yeah, but I can't do that. Understand the disciples felt that way. They were crushed. Jesus has been his ultimate fr- their ultimate friend. He's provided everything. How in the world are they going to get by without him? And for us, we are weak. We intend to obey. We struggle. We fail. We don't usually ask for things in Jesus' name. So that brings us to the great promise of help. So here's the promise. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Actually, don't miss the and there. And I will ask the Father. See, you thought sentence diagramming was a waste of time in high school. Good Bible students diagram sentences. The and there shows that verse 15 and 16 are connected. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments, and Jesus will ask the Father to give you the helper. I have to pause here real quick and just make this point. This is a very Trinitarian passage. If you struggle with seeing the Trinity in the Scripture, I would encourage you to spend a little time with these three verses. We have the Son asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit the three members of the Trinity are here, and we're going to see them throughout the rest of the chapter. Just, just to sort of move down, when Jesus returns to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell his followers. And then if you look down in verse 16, he, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will come to you, Jesus will come to you, because Christ and the Holy Spirit are one. Christ will come to us. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. If Christ is with us, so is the Father because Christ and the Father are one. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home within him. Jesus is promising us, please Lord, help us to see this. Jesus is promising us the very life of God to those who love him and obey him. Remember what Peter says, through these divine promises, you become partakers in the divine nature. Jesus is promising life in the Trinity if you love him and obey him. The Trinity will be with you, and I'm just going to join with you, and I'm going to confess that I don't pay enough attention to this. And please don't think that I've got all of this down. I'm learning so much, and I am am trying my best to teach this to you, but I'll speak for myself here. I can see that my trouble is not that I don't have some pretty amazing gifts from Jesus. My trouble is my own sin and dullness and distraction that keeps me from seeking more of these things. And I know this is deep stuff, okay? But hang with me. Hang with me. That's why we're only doing three verses this morning. There are treasures to be found here, okay? So let's just walk down then through the rest of the passage. First of all, Jesus says, "He will ask the Father." OK, So the whole reason for this passage is that Jesus is offering comfort. He's about to return the Father to the Father. He's going to go, and he's going to build a place for us. But while he is there, he is going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. One of the most surprising, stunning statements in this whole section will come in chapter 16, just a couple of uh, chapters later, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is better for Jesus to go because when he does, he is going to ask the father to send the spirit. How can that be? how can the presence of the holy spirit in us be better than the physical presence of jesus with us keep reading he says he will give you another helper to be with you forever three three very important words first word another another here's an interesting thing about the greek language the greek language has two words for another we have one word for another The two words for another in the Greek language, one means another of the same kind, and the other means another of a different kind. So you might write this in the margin of your Bible, because Jesus is saying here, I will send you another helper of the same kind. That's important. Of the same kind as me, as Jesus. I will ask the Father, and he will send another helper, just like Jesus. All right, so this word helper then. One more short, short but relevant Greek lesson, okay? you probably heard the Greek word for, for helper here. It's paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. And it means one who is called alongside. And there's a lot of different words. If you read different versions, you'll see this translated different ways. So the ESV, which I'm reading here, has helper. Um, older versions will say comforter. The NIV, I, said, I think, says counselor. All of these work because a paraclete, is one who gives strength, one who comes alongside. So comforter works as long as you see it as, as active and not passive. So don't think of comforter like you know, somebody who comes and wraps a warm blanket around you. Think of comforter as someone who comes to strengthen you. The Holy Spirit helps and comforts the people of God in a way that gives us strength to carry on and to obey. And then the third word that's important here is forever this holy spirit this comforter he's not going to go away three and a half years he will be with you forever in fact we will enjoy the presence of the holy spirit in us after we die and for all eternity this is not a provision that we won't need anymore whenever we go to heaven in fact what you have now is a down payment of what is to come how is it better That the indwelling presence of the holy spirit is better than the physical presence of the lord jesus it is because he is a helper of the same kind as jesus who will dwell in us forever when the spirit comes he is here to stay and then third even the spirit of truth and here we learn something about the identity of this helper especially as it relates to obedience so he is the spirit of truth In 1526, Jesus will say, When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In uh, chapter 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is key. The role of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible says. Okay? This is what Jesus says. The role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to the truth. He is the spirit of truth. The helper strengthens us with the truth. The truth is to be found in the word of God. And it is the great gift that God has given us. It is everything we need to know. Creation, how did all this get here? There is a God. He has revealed himself to us. Humanity, who are we? Why are we dying? Sin, clearly there's something wrong. God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. There is abundant life available to us today. All of this and more is the truth as contained in God's word. Okay, so people want the Holy Spirit, they want the work of the Holy Spirit to be about how he makes us feel. They want the Holy Spirit to be a source of power to get what they want. They want him to be this source of mystical guidance, kind of a Christian horoscope or palm reader. But what the Holy Spirit actually does is leads us Into truth. Look down at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here's what this passage teaches about the role of the Spirit the Spirit helps us to obey by leading us to the truth. When we know the truth and we believe the truth, we obey the truth. The Spirit is the agent in us. That makes this a reality. All right, so where does Ezekiel come into all of this? I know you've all been dying to know. All right, understand Jesus does not present this out of the blue, all right? There's a lot of people, because everybody only reads the New Testament these days, who think that everything that's coming in the New Testament is just coming out of nowhere, and that's not true, all right? So just quick diversion here. Let's think back to the Old Testament for just a second to understand what the Holy Spirit has given to do for us. The Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, was given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. And it was a conditional covenant. It's often called the Old Covenant because it was designed to be replaced by the New Covenant. Praise God. But it was conditional. God said to the people, if you obey, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people said, we're in. And then a few chapters later, in Exodus chapter 24, God comes to him again, and he says, just so you're clear, if you do these things, you obey, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're totally in. But the narrative of the Old Testament, pretty much immediately after Mount Sinai, for what it's worth, contains example and example and example and example that shows that the people of Israel did not obey. They did not keep their end of the covenant. You know what? They couldn't keep their end of the covenant. And we can't obey either, because their hearts were hard. And so these prophets start to show up hundreds of years later, to say, just so you know, you know what God said way back in Deuteronomy, that he was going to discipline this nation if they don't obey? Well, that's about to happen. Babylon, Assyria, they're going to come, they're going to take you into exile. Everything's about to change for a while. Those prophets don't leave Israel without hope. God clearly isn't done with his people. One could even say he knew they wouldn't obey, and so he promises us a new covenant. Jeremiah, hear me, just listen. God is going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, but it won't be like the old covenant because he's going to actually write the law on their hearts. He's going to give them new hearts, which brings us to Ezekiel. Robbie read this earlier. I'm just going to read a short portion. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, here it is, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to obey. If you are going to understand the role that the Holy Spirit is supposed to play in your life, I would direct you back to that obscure prophecy in Ezekiel 36. Because doesn't that promise, that prophecy, sound a lot like what Jesus is saying right here in John? If you love me, you will obey me, and I will send the spirit of truth to help you. Every week we take the Lord's Supper, and we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. We are the blessed participants in this new covenant here today. Now clearly there's more to come. This is a covenant that he's making. It says right there, I'm making this covenant with Israel and Judah. And there's still that promise of a totally new heart. I don't know about you, but I don't have that yet. I I, I still battle the old heart. But we have this down payment of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to help us to obey. Brothers and sisters, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is much less mysterious than I think we would like it to be. Biblically speaking, to be, spilled, to be filled with the Spirit is to walk in obedience to the Lord's commands. To, be, to, to the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not a feeling. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And that is not to say that you will never be emotionally overwhelmed in the presence of God's Spirit. These truths are majestic truths. These are amazing truths. There will be times when the Holy Spirit reveals truth to your heart and it causes an emotional response of joy or repentance, sadness. David dances before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Jerusalem because he understands the God who sits on that throne and who is taking up his residence in the capital city. So understand, I am not saying that our possession of the Holy Spirit means that we would be unemotional, somber, quiet. I am saying that to seek the Spirit so that he leads you, he, I'm saying to seek the Spirit so that he leads you to truth. And that truth should lead you to worship and joy and excitement. Jesus says, whom the world cannot receive, the world cannot and will not have anything to do with the truth of God or with obedience. Paul says in 1 Corinthians two fourteen, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Practically speaking, and I want to ask you this morning, I hope you're with me, is your heart warmed by the thought of God's Spirit leading you to truth? Do you want to obey even as we continue to struggle in these sinful bodies? Or do these subjects like the truth of God and obeying God rub against your soul? Very frankly, do you find all of this unhelpful and uninteresting? Because if you don't care to obey God and understand God's truth, then you don't have God's spirit living inside of you. And in that case, you're still lost in your sins. Apart from Christ, there is no comfort. And I invite you this morning to put your faith in the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross. Place your faith in him as your only hope in life and death. And then you will know the help, the comfort of the spirit of truth. And then Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. On the other hand, whether you know it or not, whether you understand all of this or not, just to be clear, we can walk out of here this morning, you can be a believer this morning, and you can walk out of here and you can be like, David, I still don't understand all of that. That's okay. If you are a believer, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have God's Spirit inside of you. He is with you right now. And his coming was obviously a change. All of this really forces us to ask the question, what was the Holy Spirit doing prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Was he just sort of hanging out in heaven, waiting for Jesus to finish his work so that he could come down? And the answer to that is no. The Holy Spirit was clearly working in the Old Testament. I can provide you with many examples, but there's something different. So what has changed? Jesus says, You know him because he dwells with you, and now he will be in you. Holy Spirit is in you, leading you to truth. One more point that's worth making here, too Holy Spirit is a person. You know him. He dwells in you. He is not an it. He is not an influence. He is not force. And we should be careful not to dishonor him by speaking in ways that deny his personhood. What does it mean to be indwelt? By the Holy Spirit. I want to offer you an illustration real quick. So, Paul says in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Let's say that I'm having conflict with one of my children, and I'm trying to understand, and I'm trying to help them. But how often do you say to yourself in a situation like that, I, just, I don't understand what he's thinking. I, I don't understand what she's thinking here. It's, it's hard. What if you could know what they're thinking? That would go a long way to resolving the conflict. Oh, I see what you're thinking. Okay, that makes sense now. We have the mind of Christ. We can know what God thinks. And that goes a long way to resolving the difficulties that we have with him. All right, so this isn't the only passage in the Bible that speaks of the Holy Spirit. There's much more to learn about the Holy Spirit, but I think this is a very important starting point. And I hope you'll agree that the best way to understand the Holy Spirit is to actually look at what the Bible says. So if the Holy Spirit is Christ's special gift to all believers, why do so many people struggle to understand The work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Number one, I think, honestly, if we're just honest, there's a lot of lack of love for Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Generally speaking, the trouble is that there are professing Christians who have no experience of the Holy Spirit because they don't love Christ and they don't enjoy obeying him. Therefore, they don't need his presence. Jesus warns us that we can't serve two masters. And I believe there are many in the church today who lack the Spirit because they don't love Jesus. And therefore, they have no desire to obey. Secondly, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the work of the Holy Spirit. I think many Christians are looking in the wrong place for an experience of the Holy Spirit. They want a feeling, not the truth. I am not aware of any place in the New Testament that promises any kind of feeling as evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the New Testament writers speak of him, they speak of things we think and how we live. Go home and read Romans 8. One of the great passages of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verses 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You need to be looking in the right place for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And then third, I think there's a lot of distraction. I'm speaking for myself here. I've spoken to many of you about this. If the Spirit of truth leads us into all truth, and that truth is contained in the Bible, and Jesus prays in John 17:17, 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, then if we're choosing to fill our minds with loads of stuff other than the Scripture, we're simply not giving the Holy Spirit much to work with. Here's a simple statement about how I believe God changes us. Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change the hearts of his people. I think that's the work that God is doing to make us more like him. We could say it like this. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth of Christ and changes our hearts. There's a prayer, and with this i am done. I've told guys that I've been praying this uh, from Ephesians chapter 3 been praying this for Hope Bible Church for months now, for many of you specifically. When I read through this prayer, I put your names, your family's names into this prayer. This is the prayer, and I want you to listen to it in light of what we've just seen. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Do you see it? He prays for power through his Spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The Spirit is helping us to believe so that being rooted and grounded in love, there's the love, we may have strength to comprehend, to understand. There's the spirit leading us to truth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled to the fullness of God as Peter said it, that we may become partakers in the divine nature, the Trinity, God the Father, God Son, God the Holy Spirit, actively participating in our lives in the here and now. And if this understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit feels at all unspiritual to you, then I would simply ask you to look in the New Testament. And I think if we simply look at what the Bible actually says about the Holy Spirit, We will find the same truths over and over again. And as always, I am happy to talk to you more about this. And if you have questions about this, I would love to discuss. And and if if you're like, no, it says here this, bring it. Let's do this together. Let's understand this difficult doctrine together so that we can get this right. Because this is a pretty amazing gift Christ has given us. And I think we ought to be digging down to find out exactly what that means. Let me pray. Father, help us, please, by your spirit to understand these things. You have promised to do that. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to love you more, that you might help us to obey you more. Father, thank you for this word today. I pray that your spirit would apply to our hearts. In Jesus'
1: name, amen. Affectionately known as the Super Ks, you know Greg and Stacey uh, Knof, rather, uh, and their kids. And you, you may have received an email this week, we didn't get it out to everybody, but uh, one of their sons, Clay, uh, is having open heart surgery this week, Tuesday, Greg, on Tuesday. So Greg and Stacey and Clay are heading up to Atlanta, I think, I don't have all the details, Atlanta today in preparation for that, and, uh, and Stacey's parents are coming down to stay with the rest of the children, um, although if you know them, they are a, a well-oiled machine, uh, just, just a great family and, and great uh, Servants of the Lord and servants to many people here in the body, throughout the small history of this church. And so we just wanted to uh, gather. Clay is actually at home today. Uh, as you can imagine, he's a young boy and he's he's nervous. Um, I think any of us adults would also be nervous to undergo such a invasive procedure. But he has two holes in his heart that have been there since childhood, and they've waited to see if they would close up, and they have not. And so he needs to have this procedure so that he will be healthy. So just join me in prayer. Uh, I'll try not to be too lengthy, just concise, but uh, we do want to ask for the Lord's blessing and hand on them. God, thank you that in your providence today we have heard from your scriptures concerning your Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, who is our counselor, who is our helper, who you've given us to come alongside, to walk alongside, to strengthen us. The effects of the fall from Genesis are with us today, and we see the effects of the fall in our broken bodies in hearts that have holes that don't heal up. Even in the small history of this church, we've had so much brokenness that is effective that. We thank you, Lord, that there will be a day coming when all the effects of the fall, all the effects of sin will be removed. Death itself will be destroyed, as we've just sung about. Lord, we long for that day. We long to be made whole, to be made new. We long for our glorified bodies where we can live and serve, and love, and work, as we were intended to do. Until then, Lord, you have given us the church. You have given us your word, which is sufficient, and you've given us your spirit. Now, God, I pray for Clay, Lord, his little soul, he's nervous, and that is okay. We pray in the way that only you can, that you would give him comfort, that you would strengthen his resolve in you, to whatever degree it is, God, that you would use this surgery and this operation To increase his faith in you, Lord, we we ask that you would bring him through his surgery safely and that the holes would be closed up successfully and that the effects would be a long and prosperous life on this earth, Lord, that he might be used for your glory. We pray for Greg and Stacy, Lord, that you would also help them as his parents who love him, God, to give him words of comfort. Bring to mind the scriptures that we know and that we have learned, that that he has indeed learned, and may they be a balm to his soul beforehand and afterwards lord we do pray not in vain we pray that you would be with the hand of the doctors and that you would help them to accomplish all that they set out to do lord superintend every detail of this uh for clay's good for the good of this family and ultimately for your glory we thank you for them we're thankful to call them brothers and sisters thankful to serve alongside of them and lord we pray you would move in this situation now we lift them up to you and lift up this church and we thank you for this day in jesus name amen We love you, church. You're dismissed.